0: Chapter 1.9 Part two of Personal Narrative of Travels to the Equinoctial Regions of America during the years 1799 to 1804, Volume 1 by Alexander von Humboldt. Translated by Thomasina Ross. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1.9 Part two The Chamas, like all savage people, who dwell in excessively hot regions, have an insuperable aversion to clothing. The writers of the Middle Ages inform us that in the north of Europe, articles of clothing distributed by missionaries greatly contributed to the conversion of the pagan. In the torrid zone, on the contrary, the natives are ashamed, as they say, to be clothed, and flee to the woods when they are compelled to cover themselves. Among the Chamas, in spite of the remonstrances of the monks, men and women remain unclothed within their houses. When they go into the villages they put on a kind of tunic of cotton which scarcely reaches to the knees the men's tunics have sleeves but women and young boys to the age of ten or twelve have the arms shoulders and upper part of the breast uncovered the tunic is so shaped that the forepart is joined to the back by two narrow bands which cross the shoulders when we met the natives out of the boundaries of the mission we saw them especially in rainy weather stripped of their clothes and holding their shirts rolled up under their arms they preferred letting the rain fall on their bodies to wetting their clothes the elder women hid themselves behind trees and burst into loud fits of laughter when they saw us pass the missionaries complain that in general the young girls are not more alive to feelings of decency than the men ferdinand columbus relates that in 1498 his father found the women in the island of trinidad without any clothing note life of delantado churchill's collection 1723 this life written after the year 1537 from original notes in the handwriting of christopher columbus himself is the most valuable record of the history of his discoveries it exists only in the italian and spanish translations of alfonso de ulloa and gonzales barcia for the original carried to venice in 1571 by the learned fornari has not been published and is supposed to be lost napiona del patria di de colombi 1804 sopra christ colombo 1809 end of note while the men wore the guayaco which is rather a narrow bandage than an apron at the same period on the coast of paria young girls were distinguished from married women either as cardinal bembo states by being quite unclothed or according to gomara by the color of the guayuco this bandage which is still in use among the Chamas and all the naked Indians of the Orinoco, is only two or three inches broad and is tied on both sides to a string which encircles the waist. Girls are often married at the age of twelve, and until they are nine years old the missionaries allow them to go to church unclothed, that is to say, without a tunic. Among the Chamas, as well as in all the Spanish missions and the Indian villages, a pair of drawers, a pair of shoes or a hat are objects of luxury unknown to the natives, an Indian servant who had been with us during our journey to Caripe and the Orinoco and whom I brought to France was so much struck on landing when he saw the ground tilled by a peasant with his hat on that he thought himself in a miserable country where even the nobles parenthesis los mismos caballeros close parenthesis followed the plough. The chain women are not handsome according to the ideas we annex to beauty yet the young girls have a look of softness and melancholy contrasting agreeably with the expression of the mouth which is somewhat harsh and wild they wear their hair plaited in two long tresses they do not paint their skin and wear no other ornaments than necklaces and bracelets made of shells birds bones and seeds both men and women are very muscular but at the same time fleshy and plump i saw no person who had any natural deformity and i may say the same of thousands of Caribs, Moiscas, and Mexican and Peruvian Indians, whom we observed during the course of five years. Bodily deformities and deviations from nature are exceedingly rare among certain races of men, especially those who have the epidermis highly colored. But I cannot believe that they depend solely on the progress of civilization, a luxurious life, or the corruption of morals. In Europe, a deformed or very ugly girl marries if she happened to have a fortune and the children often inherit the deformity of the mother in the savage state which is a state of equality no consideration can induce a man to unite himself to a deformed woman or one who is very unhealthy such a woman if she resists the accidents of a restless and troubled life dies without children we might be tempted to think that savages all appear well made and vigorous because feeble children die young for want of care and only the strongest survive. But these causes cannot operate among the Indians of the missions, whose manners are like those of our peasants, or among the Mexicans of Chulolo and La Scala, who enjoy wealth transmitted to them by ancestors more civilized than themselves. If, in every state of cultivation, the copper colored race manifests the same inflexibility, the same resistance to deviation from a primitive type, are we not forced to admit that this peculiarity belongs in great measure to hereditary organization to that which constitutes the race with copper-colored men as with whites luxury and effeminacy weaken the physical constitution and heretofore deformities were more common at cusco and henochtitlan among the mexicans of the present day who are all laborers leading the most simple lives montezuma would not have found those dwarfs and humpbacks whom Bernal Diaz saw waiting at his table when he dined. Note, Bernal Diaz Hist Verd de la Nueva Espana sixteen thirty end of note The custom of marrying very young, according to the testimony of the monks, is no way detrimental to population. This precocious nobility depends on the race, and not on the influence of a climate excessively warm. It is found on the northwest coast of America, among the Eskimos and in Asia, among the Kamchat Dailies and the Koryaks, where girls of ten years old are often mothers. It may appear astonishing that the time of gestation, the duration of pregnancy, never alters in a state of health in any race or in any climate. The Chaymas are almost without beard on the chin, like the Tunguosos and other nations of the Mongol race. They pluck out the few hairs which appear, but independently of that practice, most of the natives would be nearly beardless. Note. Physiologists would never have entertained any difference of opinion respecting the existence of the beard among the Americans if they had considered what the first historians of the conquest have said on the subject. For example, Pigafetta, in 1519, in his journal, preserved in the Ambrosian Library at Milan and published, in 1800, by Amoretti. Benzoni hist del mondo nuovo. 1572. Bembo hist venet 1557. End of note. I say most of them, because there are tribes which, as they appear distinct from the others, are more worthy of fixing our attention. Such are, in North America, the Chippewas visited by Mackenzie, and the Yabapayis near the Toltec ruins at Moqui, with bushy beards. In South America, the Patagonians and the guara among these last are some who have hairs on the breast. When the Chamas, instead of extracting the little hair they have on the chin, attempt to shave themselves frequently, their beards grow. I have seen this experiment tried with success by young Indians who officiated at Mass, and who anxiously wished to resemble the Capuchin Fathers, their missionaries and masters. The great right Mass of the people, however, dislike the beard, no less than the Eastern nations hold it in reverence. This antipathy is derived from the same source as the predilection for flat foreheads, which is evinced in so singular a manner in the statues of the Aztec heroes and divinities. Nations attach the idea of beauty to everything which particularly characterizes their own physical conformation, their natural physiognomy. Note. Thus, in their finest statues, the Greeks exaggerated the form of the forehead by elevating beyond proportion the facial line. End of note. Hence it ensues that among a people to whom nature has given very little beard, a narrow forehead, and a brownish-red skin, every individual thinks himself handsome, in proportion as his body is destitute of hair, his head flattened, and his skin besmeared with natto, chica, or some other copper-red colour. The Chamas lead a life of singular uniformity. They go to rest very regularly at seven in the evening, and rise long before daylight at half-past four in the morning. Every Indian has a fire near his hammock. The women are so chilly that I have seen them shiver at church when the centigrade thermometer was not below eighteen degrees. The huts of the Indians are extremely clean. Their hammocks, their reed mats, their pots for holding cassava and fermented maize, their bows and arrows, everything is arranged in the greatest order. Men and women bathe every day, and being almost constantly unclothed, they are exempted from that uncleanliness of which the garments are the principal cause among the lower class of people in cold countries. Besides a house in the village, they have generally in their conucos, near some spring or at the entrance of some solitary valley, a small hut covered with the leaves of the palm or plantain tree. Although they live less commodiously in the conuco, they love to retire thither as often as they can. The irresistible desire the Indians have to flee from society and enter again on a nomadic life causes even young children sometimes to leave their parents and wander four or five days in the forests living on fruits palm cabbage and roots when traveling in the missions it is not uncommon to find whole villages almost deserted because the inhabitants are in their gardens or in the forests parenthesis al monte close parenthesis among civilized nations the passion for hunting arises perhaps in part from the same causes the charm of solitude the innate desire of independence, the deep impression made by nature, whenever man finds himself in contact with her in solitude, the condition of the women among the chamas, like that in all semi-barbarous nations, is a state of privation and suffering. The hardest labor devolves on them when we saw the chamas returning in the evening from their gardens, the man carried nothing but the knife or hatchet, parenthesis machete cause parenthesis with which he clears his way among the undergrowth whilst the woman, bending under a great load of plantains, carried one child in her arms, and sometimes two other children placed upon the load. Notwithstanding this inequality of condition, the wives of the Indians of South America appear to be in general happier than those of the savages of the North. Between the Allegheny Mountains and the Mississippi, wherever the natives do not live chiefly on the produce of the chase, the women cultivate maize, beans, and gourds, and the men take no share in the labors of the field. In the Torrid zone, hunting tribes are not numerous, and in the missions the men work in the fields as well as the women. Nothing can exceed the difficulty experienced by the Indians in learning Spanish, to which language they have an absolute aversion. Whilst living separately from the whites, they have no ambition to be called educated Indians, or to borrow the phrase employed in the missions, quote, Latinized Indians, end quote. Indios muy Latinos, close parenthesis. Not only among the Chamas, but in all the very remote missions I have afterward visited, I observe that the Indians experience vast difficulty in arranging and expressing the most simple ideas in Spanish, even when they perfectly understand the meaning of the words and the turn of the phrases. When a European questions them concerning objects which have surrounded them from their cradles, they seem to manifest an imbecility exceeding that of infancy. The missionaries assert that this embarrassment is neither the effect of timidity nor of natural stupidity, but that it arises from the impediments they meet within the structure of a language so different from their native tongue. In proportion as man is remote from cultivation, the greater is his mental inaptitude. It is not, therefore, surprising that the isolated Indians in the missions should experience in the acquisition of the Spanish language less faculty than the Indians who live among mestizos, mulatos, and whites in the neighborhood of towns. Nevertheless, I have often wondered at the volubility with which at Caripe the native alcalde, the gobernador, and the sargento mayor will harangue for whole hours the Indians assembled before the church, regulating the labors of the weak, reprimanding the idol, or threatening the disobedient. Those chiefs, who are also of the Chema race, and who transmit the orders of the missionary, speak all together in a loud voice, with marked emphasis, but almost without action. Their features remain motionless, but their look is imperious and severe. These same men, who manifest quickness of intellect, and who were tolerably well acquainted with the Spanish, were unable to connect their ideas when, in our excursions in the country around the convent, we put questions to them through the intervention of the monks. They were made to affirm or deny whatever the monks pleased, and that wily civility to which the least cultivated Indian is no stranger induced them sometimes to give to their answers the turn that seemed to be suggested by our question. Travelers cannot be enough on their guard against this officious assent when they seek to confirm their own opinions by the testimony of the natives. To put an Indian alcalde to the proof, I asked him one day whether he did not think the little river of Caripe which issues from the cavern of Guacharo returned into it on the opposite side by some unknown entrance after having ascended the slope of the mountain the indian seemed gravely to reflect on the subject and then answered by way of supporting my hypothesis quote, how else if it were not so would there always be water in the bed of the river at the mouth of the cavern End quote. The Chamas are very dull in comprehending anything relating to numerical facts. I never knew one of these people who might not have been made to say that he was either eighteen or sixty years of age. Mr. Marsden observed the same peculiarity in the Malays of Sumatra, though they have been civilized more than five centuries. The Chama language contains words which express pretty large numbers, yet few Indians know how to apply them, and having felt from their intercourse with the missionaries the necessity of so doing the more intelligent among them count in spanish but apparently with great effort of mind as far as thirty or perhaps fifty the same persons however cannot count in the chama language beyond five or six it is natural that they should employ in preference the words of a language in which they have been taught the series of units and tens since learned europeans have not disdained to study the structure of the idioms of america with the same care as they study those of the semitic languages and of latin and greek May no longer attribute to the imperfection of a language what belongs to the rudeness of the nation it is acknowledged that almost everywhere the indian idioms display greater richness and more delicate gradations than might be supposed from the uncultivated state of the people by whom they are spoken i am far from placing the languages of the new world in the same rank with the finest languages of asia and europe but no one of these latter has a more neat regular and simple system of numeration than the quichua and the aztec which were spoken in the great empires of cuzco and anhuac it is a mistake to suppose that those languages do not admit of counting beyond four because in villages where they are spoken by the poor labourers of peruvian and mexican race individuals are found who cannot count beyond that number the singular opinion that so many american nations reckon only as far as five ten or twenty has been propagated by travellers who have not reflected that According to the genius of different idioms, men of all nations stop at groups of five, ten, or twenty units, parenthesis, that is, the number of the fingers of one hand, or of both hands, or of the fingers and toes together, close parenthesis, and that six, thirteen, or twenty are differently expressed by five one, three ten, and feet ten. A note. Savages, to express great numbers with more facility, are in the habit of forming groups of five ten or twenty grains of maize according as they reckon in their language by fives tens or twenties End of note. can it be said that the numbers of the europeans do not extend beyond ten because we stop after having formed a group of ten units the construction of the languages of america is so opposite to that of the languages derived from the latin that the jesuits who had thoroughly examined everything that could contribute to extend their establishments introduced among the neophytes instead of the spanish some indian tongues remarkable for their regularity and copiousness such as the quechua and the guarani they endeavoured to substitute these languages for others which were poorer and more irregular in their syntax the substitution was found easy the indians of the different tribes adopted it with docility and thenceforth those american languages generalized, became a ready medium of communication between the missionaries and the neophytes. It would be a mistake to suppose that the preference given to the language of the Incas over the Spanish tongue had no other aim than that of isolating the missions, and withdrawing them from the influence of two rival powers, the bishops and civil governors. The Jesuits had other motives, independently of their policy, for wishing to generalize certain Indian tongues, they found in those languages a common tie easy to be established between the numerous hordes which had remained hostile to each other and had been kept asunder by diversity of idioms for in uncultivated countries after the lapse of several ages dialects often assume the form or at least the appearance of mother tongues when it is said that a dane learns the german and a spaniard the italian or the latin more easily than they learn any other language it is at first thought that this facility results from the identity of a great number of roots common to all the germanic tongues or to those of latin europe it is not considered that with this resemblance of sounds there is another resemblance which acts more powerfully on nations of a common origin language is not the result of an arbitrary convention the mechanism of inflections the grammatical constructions the possibility of inversions all are the offspring of our own minds of our individual organization there is in man an instinctive and regulating principle, differently modified among nations not of the same race. A climate more or less severe, a residence in the defiles of mountains, or on the seacoasts, or different habits of life, may alter the pronunciation, render the identity of the roots obscure, and multiply the number. But all these causes do not affect that which constitutes the structure and mechanism of languages. The influence of climate, and of external circumstances, vanishes before the influence which depends on the race on the hereditary and individual dispositions of men in america parenthesis and this result of recent researches note c vater's mithridates end of note is extremely important with respect to the history of our species close parenthesis from the country of the eskimo to the bank of the orinoco and again from these torrid regions to the frozen climate of the straits of magellan Mother tongues, entirely different in their roots, have, if we may use the expression, the same physiognomy. Striking analogies of grammatical construction are acknowledged, not only in the more perfect languages, as in that of the Incas, the Aymara, the Guarauno, the Mexican, and the Cora, but also in languages extremely rude. Idioms, the roots of which do not resemble each other more than the roots of the Sclavonic and the Biscayan, have those resemblances of internal mechanism which are found in the Sanskrit, the Persian, the Greek, and the German languages. Almost everywhere in the New World we recognize a multiplicity of forms and tenses in the verb. Note. In the Greenland language, for example, the multiplicity of the pronouns governed by the verb produces twenty-seven forms for every tense of the indicative mood. It is surprising to find, among nations now ranking in the lowest degree of civilization, this desire of graduating the relations of time, the superabundance of modifications introduced into the verb to characterize the object. Matarpa, he takes it away. Matarpet, thou takest it away. Matarpatit, he takes it away from thee. Matarpagit, I take away from thee. In the preterite of the same verb, Matara, he has taken it away. Mataratit, he has taken it away from thee this example from the greenland language shows how the governed and the personal pronouns form one compound in the american languages with the root of the verb these slight differences in the form of the verb according to the nature of the pronouns governed by it is found in the old world only in the biscayan and congo languages vater mithratides william von humboldt on the basque language close parenthesis strange conformity in the spirit of languages on spots so distant and among three races of men so different the white catalonians the black congos and the copper-coloured americans End of note. an ingenious method of indicating beforehand either by inflection of the personal pronouns which form the terminations of the verb or by an intercalated suffix the nature and the relation of its object and its subject and of distinguishing whether the object be animate or inanimate of the masculine or feminine gender simple or in complex number it is on account of this general analogy of structure it is because american language which have no words in common parenthesis for instance the mexican and the Quechua, close parenthesis resemble each other by their organization and form complete contrasts to the language of latin europe that of the indians of the missions familiarize themselves more easily with an american idiom than with the spanish in the forests of the orinoco i have seen the rudest indians speak two or three tongues savages of different nations often communicate their ideas to each other by an idiom not their own if the system of the jesuits had been followed languages which already occupy a vast extent of country would have become almost general in terra firma and on the orinoco the caribbean and tamanac alone would now be spoken and in the south and Southwest the Quechua, the Guarano, the Omaga, and the Araucan. By appropriating to themselves these languages, the grammatical forms of which are very regular and almost as fixed as those of the Greek and Sanskrit, the missionaries would place themselves in more intimate connection with the natives whom they govern. The numberless difficulties which occur in the system of a mission consisting of Indians of ten or a dozen different nations would disappear with the confusion of idioms those which are little diffused would become dead languages but the indian in preserving an american idiom would retain his individuality his national character thus by peaceful means might be effected what the incas began to establish by force of arms how indeed can we be surprised at the little progress made by the chamas the caribbees the Salives, or the ottomacs in the knowledge of the spanish language when we recollect that one white man one single missionary finds himself alone amidst five or six hundred indians and that it is difficult for him to establish among them a gobernador, an alcalde or a fiscal who may serve him as an interpreter if instead of the missionary system some other means of civilization were substituted if instead of keeping the whites at a distance they could be mingled with the natives recently united in villages the american idioms would soon be superseded by the languages of europe and the natives would receive in those languages the great mass of new ideas which are the fruit of civilization then the introduction of general tongues such as that of the incas or the guaranos without doubt would become useless but after having lived so long in the missions of south america after having so closely observed the advantages and the abuses of the system of the missionaries i may be permitted to doubt whether that system could be easily abandoned though it is doubtless very capable of being improved and rendered more conformable with our ideas of civil liberty to this it may be answered that the romans succeeded in rapidly introducing their language with their sovereignty into the country of the gauls into botica and into the province of africa note for the reason of this rapid introduction of latin among the gauls I believe we must look into the character of the natives and the state of their civilization, and not into the structure of their language. The brown-haired Celtic nations were certainly different from the race of light-haired Germanic nations, and though Druid caste recalls to our minds one of the institutions of the Ganges, this does not demonstrate that the idiom of the Celts belongs, like that of the nations of Odin, to a branch of the Indo-Pelastic languages." From analogy of structure and of roots, the Latin ought to have penetrated more easily on the other side of the Danube than into Gaul, but an uncivilized state, joined to great moral inflexibility, probably opposed its introduction among the Germanic nations. End of note. But the natives of these countries were not savages. They inhabited towns, they were acquainted with the use of money, and they possessed institutions denoting a tolerably advanced state of cultivation. The allurement of commerce, and a long abode of the Roman legions, had promoted intercourse between them and their conquerors. We see, on the contrary, that the introduction of the languages of the mother countries was met by obstacles almost innumerable, wherever Carthaginian, Greek, or Roman colonies were established on coasts entirely barbarous. In every age and in every climate the first impulse of the savage is to shun the civilized man. The language of the Chema Indians was less agreeable to my ear than the Caribbean, the Salive, and other languages of the Orinoco. It has fewer sonorous terminations in accented vowels. We are struck with a frequent repetition of the syllables guaz, es, puec, and per. These terminations are derived in part from the inflection of the verb to be, and from certain prepositions which are added at the ends of words, and which, according to the genius of the American idioms, are incorporated with them. It would be wrong to attribute this harshness of sound to the abode of the Chamas in the mountains. They are strangers to that temperate climate. They have been led thither by the missionaries, and it is well known that, like all the inhabitants of warm regions, they at first dreaded what they called the cold of Caripe. I employed myself with Monsieur Bonpland during our abode at the Hospital of the Capuchins in forming a small catalogue of Chama words. I am aware that languages are much more strongly characterized by their structure and grammatical form than by the analogy of their sounds and of their roots and that the analogy of sounds is sometimes so disguised in different dialects of the same tongue as not to be recognizable for the tribes into which a nation is divided often designate the same objects by words altogether heterogeneous hence it follows that we readily fall into mistakes if Neglecting the study of the inflections and consulting only the roots, parenthesis, for instance, in the words which designate the moon, sky, water, and earth. Close parenthesis. We decide on the absolute difference of two idioms from that mere want of resemblance in sounds. But while aware of this source of error, travelers would do well to continue to collect such materials as may be within their reach. If they do not make known the internal structure, and the general arrangement of the edifice they may point out some important parts end of chapter 1.9 part 2